I'm always on my phone. And I have this rule with myself that when a journalist um, asks me a question, if it's over Twitter um, or via text, I'll give myself 10 minutes to reply. If I miss out in that 10 minutes, they've probably gone to someone else at the same time. And after 10 minutes, they might as well have got a, a competitor or someone else talking about the same subject. Welcome to Reputation Revolution. This is the podcast where we help individuals like you to establish your voice in the marketplace, enhance the credibility of that voice, extend the reach of your story and your message, and finally, extract value from your efforts in building a meaningful personal brand that's both recognized and respected. Now, on with the show. Alrighty, welcome back to the Reputation Revolution. My name is Trevor Young. Great to have your company. Look, we talk a lot about in personal branding and building a profile and a reputation, um, earned media or generating media coverage. And it's usually people who earn media coverage often do other things. They're often on social and they're often creating content and they're putting themselves out there. So today we've got a very special guest all the way from the county of Dorset in the UK. His name is Jake Moore. We're going to get into his story, but he's got, I've got a couple of little things I'm going to throw at him and I'm not sure whether he knows this or not, but uh, it'll be all good. And he's going to take us from when no one knew him, apart from his family and his good circle of friends, to now where he's uh, on the media internationally. Jake Moore, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, Thank you for having me. Mate, uh, been great to get you on. I've been following your journey for a while, and it's always good to show people and take people through um, their story, your story, or you know, people like you and the story who have gone ahead and done all of this stuff and how it all knits together. Because you know, we mm. get thrown at us. We've got to do content. We've got to do videos, and we've got to do bloody social and all of that. Uh, and then there's the earned media side, which you've done. I'm going to throw this at you right, right from the get-go. Um, it's not that you don't know it, but you probably never counted. Did you know that in the last – well, where's my stats? I've just counted all this up, actually. So in the last two years, so 2021 hasn't even finished yet, you've had more than 400 – or about 400 bits of coverage. Do you know what? We do actually monitor it, and we do have a Google Sheet somewhere with it all there to see it. And – I'm just as surprised as you, you know. In fact, my brother is the one that's the most surprised because he's an avid Financial Times reader. And he said to me, probably about last year, he said, I was reading the Financial Times the other day and your name cropped up. What the hell are you doing <laughs> in my newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's it's an interesting one. And I, I was just going through your website and you've got all the coverage you're in. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk because I know that you're getting good coverage in, in really strong mastheads. And when I say a master, that's newspaper talk for a, a, a very well-known newspaper, but also TV news and radio. But just looking back at my stats here. Um, so you've, in 2021, you've been, you've had coverage in 165 uh, bits of media coverage uh, that that you probably know about. Last year was two hundred and twenty nine, so you knocked it out of the park in in COVID times. Yeah, uh, and then twenty nineteen was eighty one, so it was a poor year by your standards in twenty nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> but well, when you look at that, the last... really got... yeah, that was yeah. the first year we got to to really push out there and and meet the journalists because at the end of the day, they're people. And I, I found the connection, the friendships that I've generated have really paid off. That's why we call it media relations in the PR biz, because you're building yeah. relationships with people and that's the most powerful way versus, in air quotes, getting publicity. Now, before we go any further, I urge people to go jump onto YouTube and watch this on you, this interview on YouTube because... It looks like you're in a disco <laughs> or a nightclub. You've got you've got the most amazing background. It's very very bright, and um, I've got to tell you, it puts my my uh, background to shame. But uh, uh, that's that doesn't help anyone who's on the podcast. Um, why don't you tell us a little before we get into that though? Because I'm going to we're going to talk social, we're going to talk content and YouTube videos and and media relations and how you've built this big profile. 
But can you let us in on the the Jake Moore story first, and uh, what you know how you came to about about doing all this? Because I haven't even said you're a cyber security specialist, so we better get people learning. What does this guy do? So why don't you take yeah. us through the through the story? Okay, so I came out of university for like twenty years ago now, and I just didn't know what to do. And my mum said, "You've got to do something that you love." And I said, well, you know, that's quite a broad thing to say. And I, at the time, said, well, I love crime. And she said, well, you can't be a criminal. I said, yeah, but I, I love crime. I was into robberies in films and books and TV shows. And she said, well, why don't you just join the police then and then learn how they investigate them and then you won't be arrested. And I thought, that's not actually a bad idea. So I bombarded the police station local to me with every job going, um, and I I just desperately wanted to work with them. And after about nine uh, applications sent through to all sorts of different jobs, I got a phone call and said, hi, Jake, look, you, you clearly want to work with us, um, and you're not suitable for any of the roles you've gone for. But as you're so determined and you're so um, up for working with us, would you take this filing job? And it was worth nothing, like a few pounds an hour. And I said, sure, I'll take anything. I was out of university. I didn't have a job. So um, I was like, yeah, I'll just do anything you've got. So they put me in there. And then within three months, I got talking to the right people, right place, right time, the heads of the, the station, the chiefs. And I told them my background was in maths and computing. And they said, we've got an idea for you. There's this thing called digital crime that's taking off, high-tech crime. Now, I loved that term. They've changed it now. They call it digital forensics, but high-tech crime unit. Yeah, I'm all in. Like, get me in there. And they just trained me up into this amazing department, which was in such an infant phase. It was amazing to see it grow from nothing, from people having old XP machines and old Nokias with three text messages on, and I could get all those back right the way through to where we are pretty much now with the dark web and smartphones, I saw all that change. And after being in that department for 10 years, I then joined and helped start up the cybercrime team because cybercrime was, was growing, as we know about it now. It's just huge and it's affecting nearly everyone. And so I, I was part of that team for two years. That's when I wanted something more. I realized I couldn't go any further in the police force. And I loved it at the police, but I wanted a bit more, maybe a bit more money. I've got two young kids and a wife. And I thought, where's my next step? And I decided to set my sights on the private world. And similar to what I was doing, there was this international company called ESET, which just so happened to have the UK office just around the corner. In fact, next to Bournemouth Police Station. And oh, so I went and targeted the MD. In fact, I tell him now that I groomed him because it took me about a year to, um, to make him realize who I was. I was doing talks. I was giving out all this cybersecurity prevention advice that everyone was desperately in need of. And then I, I targeted him and said, I've got an idea for a job. And I put this idea down and he said, I love it. I think this might just work. And I didn't expect that. I, I thought, hey, just, just keep you on your radar for another couple of years. And he said, what are you doing in three months? I'd like you to join us. And it was incredible. I, and I'm now genuinely in my dream job that I absolutely love. It's been over three years now in this role. And it's just getting better and better. So you, you were never a police, a police officer per se. So you didn't no. get to wear the uniform. Well, not that we know. No, that. I never <laughs> wanted that. I wanted to be in the background. I wanted to do the 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 more fun interesting stuff and not only that i wanted to do nine to five i feel sorry for police officers that have to work every weekend and every evening that that just isn't me yeah it's pretty pretty challenging and uh but you're it's interesting how you've you've sort of ridden the wave of you know the whole cyber crime scams all of that sort of stuff and and probably exacerbated last year too with with us being, you know, working from home a lot more during COVID or last year and this year now. So yeah. let's let's go back to when you're at in the police force because I think it was about what was it about 2017 you started doing videos was that about right? Yeah, so um I joined the cybercrime team and and my boss at the time said, "Look, we just need people to understand cybersecurity 
and it's it's difficult to get this message out there. It's largely boring to some people or difficult to the rest of people. Yep. So he said, look, come up with any idea you can. I came up with some really crazy ideas, like some animation. Well, it wasn't even animation. It was more like a comic book style that was terrible. I came up with um, writing blogs, but they just weren't getting read. So I thought, why not go with, like everyone else, and take on this rich media. We had a Facebook page. We had a, a YouTube page already in the police force. I thought, why not make some three-minute videos of just maybe the top tips that if people can just take away those top, I don't know, six yep. or seven things, then they might just be able to better protect themselves. Yep. And they said, great, you go and do it. I had the kit. I've got a camera. I've got the microphone. Um, all I needed was someone to help hold the camera. And so I, I wrote these um, these pieces and they lasted, you know, two minute videos, really. And they just went really well. And, and people started to like them. But I didn't realize that I would get known for it. I was just doing it because I wanted people to hear what I had to say. So was that what made, you know, your your profile early? Uh, obviously, locally, people would say, oh, I saw you there or whatever, because, you know, it'd be promoted through the Facebook group. So you'd, you'd uh, the police Facebook page. So you'd get a lot of local stuff early. But where, at what was there a tipping point when you started getting media coverage or did it start locally? I mean, obviously around Dorset and Bournemouth, around that yeah, area, so, got media. So is that where it started? And then did it grow? What was your first big, I guess, piece of national coverage? And how did that come about? So working in the police, there aren't many spokespeople, really. They don't really want to have a face attached to whatever they're talking about, unless it's the chief, and the chief was busy. And so suddenly the media saw me as someone they could go to. I was completely open with them, and they could contact me. And it wasn't national. We did have local coverage. I think in my first week, I had the local ITV News come and interview me because I was... Uh, taking on this new role and I remember just staring at the camera completely blank and the interviewer just asking me these questions I, I just went completely mind numb I hated it it was horrible and I couldn't wait for it all to end and he kept asking different questions and it was horrible but it, we didn't get international or national coverage from anything like this of course it wasn't until I joined ESET that I was able to get to the next level of media. So how, how did that work then? So um, you built your base uh, at the police, you got the videos, you got known locally. Uh, I guess you uh, you learnt the chops of standing in front of a camera and, you know, your first ones are always, well, first few are always going to be shaky. Horrible. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and it just, it's one thing that it does get, easier and better over time and and you know looked at some of your recent ones and you're very polished now so when you joined ESET did they I mean I guess it's because you had profile and expertise and is part of that role education you know because you probably haven't got that much time to do anything else you're getting that much coverage at the moment yeah so as soon as I started with ESET they introduced me to their PR agency that they had in London and they quickly gave me proper training. Um, I remember being, let's say, interviewed by the owner of the company, but in the, I think it was seven different ways of how people are interviewed. And it was fascinating to see the different approaches. I'd never really thought about it before. I'd never really thought how any journalist can change their approach and how it can make the interviewee feel uneasy and nervous. You know, you know we, no one naturally wants to throw themselves in front of a camera without doing lots of having that experience behind them. Oh. And I suddenly started to relax when they helped me out. They basically broke me right down and said, look, you know your stuff. You know about security. You want to get the message across. So just go down that angle and people will see the truth from what you have to say. And it suddenly just just clicked I got it and I understood what I was there to give. And suddenly in the real world, I wasn't seeing all seven different types of journalists. I was seeing maybe two or three and I started to enjoy it. In fact, I now can't wait to the next um, appearance. Um, I've now done BBC, Al Jazeera, ITV, 
it's getting fun. I even did um, BBC Panorama, which is the big one for us in the UK um, uh, in the summer. And that took seven months of, pl- of planning with the team. It was an amazing experience to see how it all unfolded. And now I just love it. You know, if there's a cyber attack now, I get excited because I know that someone will ask me my opinion. My wife can't believe it that I'm asked to talk about something and just give my opinion on stuff. But I love it. And and if at the end of the day, I can then help people maybe reduce the next type of attack like that, then that's just an added bonus. So when you said that, you know, it started off the seven types of interviews and you really got it all types of journalists who were going to interview you and you've sort of got it down to about two to three. What are the what what are those sort of two to three when you say types of journalists? What do you what do you mean there? So what I found is that most journalists are just they're interested in what I have to say um, and they're not trying to to trip me up. I always felt that journalists might want to trip me up, might want to catch me out because you know, I'm used to seeing politicians being interviewed on TV and they're, and they're the ones that get that journalist that goes, ah, but you said X number of weeks ago, the complete opposite. And I realised that I'm there as a bit of an educator. So they want to get it right. They're not there to trip me up. Um, but I do find that I get interviewed by um, journalists that are much younger than me, maybe new into their career, who, in fact, are more nervous than me. And I, I never thought I'd find that. Now, I always see myself as quite young, but then suddenly these journalists are now 20 years younger than me. I'm thinking, wow, who's more nervous here? And so that actually calms me down. Um, and they aren't there to... to catch me out they're a very friendly bunch and i've become very good friends you know whatsapp instagram friends with these people and it just pays dividends because then when something breaks they know that they can come to me and i get these funny messages saying oh jake um facebook's gone down and i'm there thinking has it um yeah it went down seven minutes ago um what can you say about that so I then go and do um, an interview with whoever. I think this was The Independent um, last month. And um, from what I said, got thrown around, syndicated around the world. 212 times it was in the next six hours, uh, I got quoted. I couldn't believe it. Um, and that was because this one journalist said, you know what, I'm going to call Jake and see what he has to say because I want to write what he says, quote it in the paper, and when it gets syndicated, boy. And I got a message from our top boss saying, I don't know what you did there, but keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) So with something like that, did you always take a cybersecurity slant to it, or are you starting to broaden out on on more, I guess, social media generally? Um, you know, do you stick to your lane or sometimes you might go in with a certain thing and then they expand the topic uh, yeah, outside so of your, that, your area? That was one of the pieces that I had in my training was never go off topic unless you are completely the expert in that area or at least give some sort of caveat to say this is not your area. So the, the immediate questions for Facebook going down was, is this a cyber attack? And if it is... What can people do about that? And are we going to see more like this? Now, no one knew what it was at the time. We'd seen all sorts of outages occur in many different areas of the internet recently, actually lots in the past couple of years. That's due to the infrastructure side of things. But keeping, like you say, in my lane about security, I can talk about how it is going to be an increased attack vector by these cyber criminals who are maybe looking at causing all this disruption. But can I talk about the the ins and outs of the infrastructure and the network and the outage itself and how it actually occurred? No, but they would go to someone else for that, you see. Yeah. So yeah. they tend to like two or three experts talking in, in each different article. And so if I can have that one honed down on what I like to talk about, then that keeps them happy. But the the interesting thing here is why I've become friends with so many of these journalists is it's speed. It's all about the speed in which I can reply to them. Now, I'm always on my phone and I have this rule with myself that when a journalist 
um, ask me a question, if it's over Twitter um, or via text, I'll give myself 10 minutes to reply. If I miss out in that 10 minutes, they've probably gone to someone else at the same time. And after 10 minutes, they might as well have got a, a competitor or someone else talking about the same subject. So they do have their favourites often, journalists. We've, well, I've been on the other side of PR and that was part of, you know, the, the, the role was to really, you know, get your client, you know, their expertise, make mm. sure they give good quote, they are a good interview subject, they're responsive, they're friendly, all of those things. Uh, but the, the key, you've mentioned a couple there that are really on, on, on target too, and that is be responsive because they're on deadlines really quickly. Uh, and, you know, if you don't get back to them and it and I think sometimes, you know, you might take a phone call and you, you know, you're in the shop in the shopping centre or, you you know, you're walking around the supermarket and you can always say, listen, I'll call you back in five or ten minutes, but always Absolutely. do call back in five or ten minutes. Um, and that's so you're what you're doing is building trust with them. But clearly, um, you know, from the earlier days where you were probably doing very educational things, now you're probably doing, you know, there's there's education wrapped up in it. But but it sounds like you're doing a lot more um, commentary, I suppose. Yeah, analysis and commentary. But they always want to know some sort of top tip at the end of it. So I have this weird structure about what I'm really talking about. It's maybe a, a, a top tier line to to gain interest, maybe even a, a question that I'm about to answer, like, could it be this, um, if they haven't maybe structured it in that way. And then um, I can talk about what people can do to secure their businesses, because, of course, we're speaking to lots of businesses here in the trade press particularly, and then consumers as well. And, and hopefully that builds trust on our company as well. Now, I never go in and say, what they should have done is buy our software. And I'm never there to do that. I'll always yeah. say, of course, it's a good idea to have antivirus installed on your device. But I'll never say which one, of course. I don't want them to think that I'm there purely just to sell our product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good point there. I guess there's, there's a couple of key things too. But one, I'm very keen to know, you've, the, the company has probably got a, it sounds like they've got a PR firm. Are they pitching you out all the time or a lot of it now is more inbound? Yeah, um, good point. So last year, maybe actually 2019 as well, when you say it was only 81 pieces of coverage. <laughs> was, yeah, damn it. Uh, that, that was very much pitching me out as, um, as Jake Moore from ESET has this to say. This is his background to those known journalists out there. Um, and some would pick those pieces up should they be writing that story at the right time. It's a bit of a hit and miss because if they aren't writing about it, um, they don't want to, or they've already written about it, then you're just going to be filling up their inbox and potentially annoying them as well. You know, I hear these journalists on uh, on Twitter going, oh, I've got 10,000 unread emails. PRs, please stop messaging me. <laughs> yeah, but they, if, if without the PR industry, I've got to tell you, mate, they'd have to do yeah. a fair bit of work. So they might complain, but they, without the PR industry, they are dead in the water. Well, um, that's so the boss said that to me. The boss said, don't worry about that. You, you'll read that from time to time. Just continue it. But it was last year. It was the start of COVID that I really noticed these friendships building and I noticed that they were coming direct to me and like I say Twitter and, and text message uh, or, or direct email they're the ones that I, I didn't realize it would happen I, I was effectively looking around going you want you want me you oh okay yeah of course I, I'll write whatever you want but um wow you know there are lots of other people I hate to think about the imposter syndrome but it was that moment where I realized wow these guys that I'm looking up to are now asking me for my opinion, whoa, this is pretty cool. So let's break that down because a lot of the pitching, unless you're pitching, there's something broken and your PR representative or you, whoever is going to be pitching out, is jumping on that right away and reaching out to the right person, which is really hard to do because you've got to have all, yeah. all the, you know, you're a lot of balls in the air. You've got to make sure everything's, all your boxes are ticked on that score. But yeah. often the pitching out is probably going to be a bit more evergreen stuff. Oh, you can, you know, you can comment on, you know, this scam or this is something that's happening or whatever, but it, it's not necessarily newsworthy for the day. Whereas, and that sounds like 
that's probably what they were pitching you out for earlier. Whereas now it sounds like it's more uh, really timely stuff because um, the media are in the driver's seat on this one and they, when it's inbound, we want you now. Yeah, so there's always a cybersecurity topic or scam Unfortunately. or attack <laughs> to be talking about. And yeah, there are so many specific cybersecurity journalists out there now, particularly in the trade press, that are reaching out for stories like this every day. And uh, the person I work with closely, funnily enough, sometimes says how much he gets a thank you because it's down to him to sometimes find the story for some of their journalists who are thinking, what should we write about today? And the story comes in, oh, I've not seen this one on whatever. Um, and, oh, Jake's got a comment. It's half written. And so sometimes it can be really helpful for them. And so once a day, we'll send out a comment to journalists just to see if it picks up. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just maybe reminding them that I'm I'm there. So we do that first thing in the morning and then I get on with my day job. So I suppose if people are wondering what the hell I actually do. So I'm constantly looking for um, the new threats in security as well. But I also do a lot of training um, and we do our own training in companies um again it's completely unbiased uh, and that's going rather well too i want to back 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 reverse back to that uh can you reverse forward no i want to go back to that <laughs> so in the morning you are looking at so this is the back end stuff that people don't see the work that goes in because yeah. if you're got you need to be on top of this stuff so clearly you're up early reading stuff uh, trying to be across all the things you'd have your sources of information coming yeah. through. But you actually, when you say you put a quote or a thought out there, is that through Twitter? Is that through the news wires? How are you doing that? So it's our PR firm. They'll, they'll have their series of journalists and yep. together if, if we find a story, and like you say, getting up early really helps. So, um, I wake up about 5, 5.30 every morning and go straight to my phone and just read what's happened in the last 12, 24 hours if I've missed it and see what story is quite interesting. Um, I'm starting to learn what the press are after as well. I've had stories before where I've thought were interesting and no one else does. Um, and then vice versa, a really boring story, but oh, I'm going to have to write on this because I know the press will like it. So there's that um, that moment in the morning where I'll just pick out the one and sometimes there's nothing, you know, you don't want to make absolutely nothing from no story at all. Um, but one might come through later on in the day. And if, you know, it pings up on Twitter and thinking, well, this is going to go big, like Facebook outage, then you know to get ready. But those ones, are, they're helpful because the reporter might come direct to me. But it's the first one in the morning. I pick out which it'll be. And then the, journal, the um, PR agent that I've got will send out those um, those comments that I've had to the right journalist, not just to everyone. He'll pick out if it's a trade press or if it's to, I don't know, a local news or if it's the nationals, tabloids, you name it. They'll try and work out which journalist might get it. It's not always going to be the cybersecurity journalist. It might be the business reporter. reporter. Or these days I talk a lot about cryptocurrency issues. So that might go to the finance desk. So that part of it, I don't see, but I know a lot of work does go into it. Yeah. But that's all done by nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so it's like the the duck busy under the water with the feet, uh, yeah, uh, swimming away and uh, paddling away and uh, and looking very calm. You're the one who's calm on the top and the, the PR agency <laughs> underneath. But this is something that people, are, you know, you don't need a PR agent to do. But obviously, if you've got one uh, and you're, you know, you're strategically planned and everything and you, you're just doing it on a bigger scale, but there's no reason why this can't be sort of shrunk down as well, depending on your topic. You're in a in an area where there's a lot happening. Now, you've mentioned right. when we said, said earlier, you know, BBC Radio and ITV News and Sky News and Panorama and CNBC and Al Jazeera, the, the, all of them. Are you sort of more press or radio or what's the split, do you reckon, over the last sort of year or two that you're you're going to? Is it sort of radio or does print, if you're in print, then that... Yeah, so... TV later, I mean, there's obviously more print publications out there. 
Do you know what? I could probably even find the stats because it's all completely logged. Um, <laughs> you are but... a mathematician, statistician, anyway. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I would say it's going to be oh, something like uh, 60 to 70% national press. Yep. That includes, you know, in the UK, The Independent, Guardian, uh, BBC News, Sky News. Uh, we'll call that a tier one publication. Yep. Correct. Um, and then about maybe 20 to 30 percent would be the trade press. So you're real. I like them because they're really geeky. But my wife would look at, I don't know, PC magazine or computing.co.uk and look at it and go, oh, my God, that's just the most boring thing ever. Whereas I love it. But that's going to the right people who um, who read things differently. So if I know who it's going to, of course, I've got to change slightly what my commentary is because you don't want to be teaching a chief information security officer, how to use a good password. Of course not. But That's someone right. reading the national press might think, oh, I have no idea about passwords. So I've got to tailor that. And then maybe the last 10% would be um, national broadcast coverage. And that includes radio, national radio. And do you know what? Out of all of them, I love radio the most. Um, yeah. I do a lot of talking radio, like talk radio shows. And you can really get into a conversation, just like me and you are having now. And it's funny that I've gone away and forgotten that I've just had a 20-minute conversation with someone who's relatively famous, maybe even a million listeners. And I've not even thought about that. I've just been chatting, just like I'm chatting to you now. And that's the, the most I get out of it, um, that fun and that thrill. Whereas TV, I've done live, I've done pre-record, my heart still goes crazy. I'm still extremely nervous. I'm, I'm always trying to work out better ways to relax. But I've got down the radio route far quicker because it's just, I don't know, maybe more natural. Uh, they can lull you into a false sense of security. Yeah. <laughs> false sense of cyber security. But as you say, <laughs> okay. they're not out to get you like in that. that regard. That's a blog title right there. <laughs> <laughs> and with TV, I guess these days now, um, you know, they're, they're doing a lot more online and not that we'd call it Zoom, but they don't use Zoom, most of them, but uh, um, the, the bigger broadcasters. But that, you know, that technology where, you know, going mm. back a few years, they'd, they'd want to be in, in your office and with a camera, but they sort of don't worry about that now because they're pretty lean operations and you're probably yeah. doing a, a, a fair whack of them now on, uh, instead of going to a studio for a, a satellite link up, they're happy to do it on online. Yeah, that really helps. So I did fortunately get to go to BBC studios and speak live from the studio in February, 2020. So a month before lockdown, I'm not sure I'll ever get that again, um, but I was so grateful, so fortunate that I was able to go and experience it. Um, I look back and it was a horrible situation. I didn't like it. Um, I had to go over my lines. I knew what I was going to say. And even at the time, I was thinking, I'm going to forget this. And it's odd because I'm sat there in this business room. The person I'm speaking to is in the room to the right of me looking forwards. I'm speaking to her. To the viewer, it looks like I'm pretty much there. And behind me, these phones are going off and people are on the phone, the actual business reporters. It was horrible. I had an earpiece in. There was people walking around in front of me as well. Oh, I didn't feel comfortable or confident. Yet with COVID, yeah, like you say, they're really happy to, to just zoom into your space and it goes from there. And so I can be comfortable. I can wear my shorts. Although I could put on a, a shirt and a tie or a shirt and a jacket at least, but I can be comfortable in my home. Now, I was fortunate enough to move house in COVID times, and I bought this house with an external garage that I've turned into my office. So that's what this is now. I've made it into an office and a bar because those are the two things that closed in COVID. But I've set up with a nice DSLR camera, I've got my nice microphone and my lighting. I feel like it's good quality, and I've had producers say whoa i like the quality here can we come back and interview again it's weird that that's actually helped them remember who i was so performing uh plus the production um so you're ticking all of those boxes now i'm going to ask you a question because about personal brand versus business brand uh, a lot of listeners might be running their own business mm. but i know there are listeners who are working for a, a corporate or another company 
And how do you manage that side of things? Because sometimes there's conflict uh, within organisations, but, you know, clearly you haven't got it because <laughs> they're out pushing you uh, out into the in front of the camera. So, but what's your view on that? Did, is it something that you manage or it's just naturally happened? I guess you've done it from the police anyway, but how, how was that journey? Because one's, you know, government and one's not government, mm. one's private enterprise. I'd say it's been fortunately natural, but it was, it was right place, right time with ESET wanting a human voice. Now, ESET have struggled with their own brand awareness um, particularly in the UK, in Europe, they're they're massive. In headquarters in Slovakia, um, wow, they are very very well known, huge, and they want that same scale of awareness in the UK as well. So they're building up the human voice, and that's where I come in. They want me to just go and speak to everyone about security, and hopefully it'll then put it back to the business brand. So. I wouldn't say I'm structuring it so well that I can write it down in an equation, but if I can be that human voice in a business world, then hopefully it ties the two together. And I guess the challenge is, and, and clearly, you know, people in the business understand that you being a spokesperson for the brand or like a brand ambassador, really, and you're out there educating and, 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 and I've, I've always liked the idea of, brand ambassadors from within, um, people who are going to do social media and create content, but can also mm. talk on behalf of the company. And and it looks like he said has, uh, you know, really done that really well. Uh, but I guess you would have, not you particularly, but when I, I, I having worked with a, number, a lot of companies over the journey and founders and CEOs, well, you need to plug the product more, you need to plug the product, but clearly that's not an issue with you. And, and because the brand gets its if you start pushing it, you won't get the coverage, um, you know, and if you start going onto TV with a, with a baseball hat and logo and all that sort of stuff, it's just not going to work. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, didn't I, check had... whether you've, I didn't check before whether you've, <laughs> you've done the baseball cap with the logo. But you well, know I, I have put this, the logo behind me at home oh, in the office. It's, um, it's good. And it's, I think what you've done with the background is, is absolutely perfect. It's, it's minimal branding. They, they, yeah. they position you. You're, you're with the company. And that's, you know, everyone wins. I think, you know, you add value. Um, you get value back. I think it's a, it's a win-win for all. For all yeah, and and the best thing about it is I still enjoy what I'm doing. I just love educating people in cybersecurity. I don't want to make it boring. I've done yeah. some really fun hacking exploits on friends, family, and local businesses to prove to them how maybe vulnerable they might be, but all in the name of humor. And that's my favorite way of telling a story in my training sessions I'll try and show them how I've hacked into a local business. And the funnier I can make it, the more it sticks in their mind. Yeah. And as you said earlier, um, different audiences, so mainstream broadcast, mm. you know, not to put a too fine a point on it, but you've got to dumb it down en enough because people, this is not their normal territory, whereas you can't, you know, for, for uh, vertical titles and the, I guess the trade press, um, you know, you, it's, it's a more intellectual conversation because... You know, they're yeah. three or four, five steps ahead. So, um, is that that's clearly something that comes natural to you now as to how to balance that? Not but always. Did that take time? That's actually it's quite difficult sometimes because, especially speaking to TV, and they ask you a question. Now, depending on who the audience is, there might be three or four answers, uh, especially about what level of depth you go into, and. I sometimes struggle with who my audience is. So when I'm doing um, conference talks, for example, the other day I, I did one, must be, I don't know, 300 people or so. I can kind of see who's in the audience and I can get an idea of their understanding. And so I know what level to pitch at because I can actually see them. But yep. when I can't see them, I do think, how in depth do I go into this? I don't want to be that person that's talking jargon, but I don't want to be that person that's teaching them something that they... They've known for years. Yeah. So yeah. it's a real difficult line. I think I'm getting it, but that comes with practice. Um, and there's always something to learn, however far you go. 
Of course. And is that, I guess it's a willingness to understand the audience, you know, who we're pitching at or that sort of stuff, uh, because you're doing it for the audience because that's, you know, the journalist has an audience. They know their audience better than most. And, you know, if you're on aligned with them, then that's going to be a win-win and that's, you're clearly doing it because that's why you keep getting called back. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I've, I've asked journalists before um, when they've say, cut down what I've said and I've gone back to them and and said would you have liked something more or less of whatever I've said that that worry that kind of panic of oh gosh did I say the wrong thing and they've always come back and said no carry on with what you're doing that might have been the editor or that might have been the fact that I didn't have enough space in the article these are things that I'd not really thought about before Um, and they said no carry on doing exactly what you're doing and I think that's amazing advice just be natural because you can't fake it I, I don't want to be someone who's who's saying the wrong thing that might work for one article but it won't last because i run out of energy for it so i think i'm just going to continue doing what i love hopefully with a smile on my face and then uh, see where it goes so let's so we've looked at the media relations side of things giving people a heads up on sort of how that's come about uh and it's you know slowly 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 although last year it really kicked off. But, of course, you know, you go back a couple of years and you're only mm. starting to get a little bit, and it started local, and, of course, when you start getting pitched more broadly. And now, I mean, it's international, but it's very much national yeah, for you now, right. uh, and occasionally it goes international. Uh, mm. We do live in a global world after all. How important is Twitter then for you? You've mentioned it a few times. I call Twitter the influence channel. Uh, mm. If you want to be talking to the media and bloggers and podcasters and all of that, then you kind of need to be on Twitter because that's where they are. Um, yeah. Are we going to agree on that? <laughs> so I, I love Twitter. It's a difficult one to gain a huge following, in my personal opinion. Um, but it's a great platform to connect with the right people. So for me, it's those journalists. And also connect with the people that are maybe breaking stories who aren't journalists. So those ones that maybe find an exploit in a company and say, hey, everyone, uh, I've just found an exploit in WhatsApp. Here's my blog. I'll read it. And maybe a day later, I'm reading it on BBC going, huh, I read that yesterday on on Twitter. Oh, yeah, of course, because that's where news is breaking. It's micro news. Um, It's tailored to, to me. I follow the people that I want to follow. Now, people who follow me tend to be people in cybersecurity. So I can't go and really give them education like, hey, guys, don't forget to use two-factor authentication because they're all going to come back and go, duh, yeah, we know. Whereas I might have to say that nearly every time if I'm speaking to ITV News, for example, because those uh, people might not be so aware of that advice. So, yeah, I love Twitter. It's a great platform. Will I ever be... A genuine influencer on the channel? I don't think so. But it's an influence channel in terms of uh, who you talk to, who talks to you, that side of things. And I'm glad you you raised this because I wrote an article years ago saying if you're on Twitter and you're following the right people in your industry and even beyond your industry, you're going to be a hell of a lot smarter at the end of the year than you are uh, at the start of the year, because those people are out foraging and they're going to oh, conferences when they could, were going to conferences, hopefully going back to conferences. They're tweeting from conferences, yes. they're subscribing to newsletters. Uh, they're almost your editors of information, uh, which you're doing as well. And and it's that sort of ecosystem uh, around topics and issues that you're just going to get smarter and you're going to see mm. news and get, get opinions too from people uh, who have got different opinions on things. Yeah, I like that. You're absolutely right. Uh, I definitely learn every day. Um, It's probably the first app I open every morning when I say I go and look at the news. Um, It'll be Twitter before the news sites because that's, of course, where stuff is breaking so much. I I love it. Um, It can sometimes be one of those areas that you just get far too into the comments and before you know it you've wasted an hour and think oh no i actually have got to do my job what have i just done wasting all that time but keeping it on top level stuff yeah absolutely brilliant and the amount of things that i've read and gone i've got to make a note of that and i ha- i have 
thousands, endless notes in my phone of little bits of just phrases, words, whatever, just to remind me later. Some I'll never look at again, but it's a great way just to jot down things that are happening. And what app do you use for that? Do you use Evernote or something like that? I used to use Evernote, actually, so I could do it cross-device. But now I've just, I just use my notes on my iPhone because I end up, um, if it's a lot that I've written, I'll just forward it to my my laptop and then carry on writing it up in a blog, for example. Um, but, yeah, that seems to work the best for me. And that's where I'll write a lot of my comments. Um, so if a, a journalist DMs me on Twitter and says, Jake, what do you think of this story, for example, that's just broken? I don't write it in the thread that I'm chatting to them in. I'll go to my notes and write it in there, and then I can you know, spend some time actually looking over it, making sure it makes sense, um, making those paragraphs spaced out. Because it's so annoying, you can't put spaces in um, Twitter messages. I hate that. Um, so I like to break it up so it's got those maybe two or three paragraphs for them to then go and choose. So that that's really what I would do as soon that's as they Twitter, Twitter DMs. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great way to communicate with people and, uh, and, and, and also to, to get to journalists, to pitch them an idea. Um, they might, you said before, they might have 10,000 unread emails, yeah. but they, they actually, you'd be surprised that they do check Twitter. And if you're a name that they know anyway, that you've built that trust over time, which you, you clearly have, then, then they, you know, they'll answer you. Um, yeah. The other thing is LinkedIn. How important is LinkedIn, do you think, today? I, I see you're pretty active on it. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. I, I feel LinkedIn's more, um, more personal. Um, and I'm not going down the route of personal like it's becoming like Facebook. I just feel like I, I know more of those people on LinkedIn and it means more. So I tend to put um, my, my latest accolades on LinkedIn to say, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I've just done this or whatever. I'm, for example, I went on ITV News for the first time the other day and I was really proud of that. So I put it on LinkedIn and my friends were liking and congratulating me. And it felt really good because I know those people. Whereas on Twitter, I haven't really met probably more than 5% of the people that I follow or follow me. Whereas LinkedIn, it's, well, actually, it's, it's increasing now. That percentage is dropping all the time. But I feel like I know those people, particularly the ones that do comment on there. I've met in real life. And I know and I, I love them. And that's like my local community, even though, of course, LinkedIn's far bigger than the local community. And that's what I really appreciate with LinkedIn. I'm not trying to be an influencer. I'm not trying to be someone going viral, but it helps with the more followers you do get. Naturally, um, the more eyes see it. But I very much enjoy the fact it's still got that local feel about it. And there are lots of local people that I follow equally doing well and keeping those communities close. That's right. And it's also, it's it's that, you know, business ecosystem around you that, uh, you know, everyone supports each other, which I think is very important. I, I, do, you, do you proactively connect with journalists on LinkedIn? And is that something that they you find that they use or not? No, I find journalists aren't too keen on LinkedIn as such. Mm. I did yeah. at the start, but mm. it, it didn't work for me. Um, and so I'll look them up. Sometimes I'll get a, a request from a journalist that I've not heard before. So in my due diligence, I want to know who they are. I want to make sure I'm not being scammed. Of course, that would be embarrassing. So I, I go and check them out, see if they exist on LinkedIn. Have they got connections with my connections? Um, yeah. But I might not necessarily add them because it doesn't really add value to what's going on. Whereas Twitter, finding them on there, that tends to be a far quicker turnaround in in adding each other as connections and as followers. And then you're using that channel from then. I'll always say, look, you can always contact me through Twitter. Although it's the same speed as writing an email, it's suggesting to them that I'll be more responsive um, to that initial direct message to me so and it's really technology you know if yeah, you're, if you're not on twitter they'll probably say why aren't you on twitter what's going on yeah <laughs> um, and i've heard that that similar sorts of things from other people who are very active with the media but linkedin is at this point is still not not a massive thing but twitter right. definitely is and i just want to you just mentioned earlier about sort of being a little bit more personal on 
on on LinkedIn, and uh, and then you said even earlier again that you wear shorts when you're doing, you know, you you dress up at the top top half and you wear shorts. But I saw you did a post the other day where you uh, you you had the what you look like on TV, and then a side view that you're wearing shorts, which uh, you know clearly most news readers that's what they do underneath the yeah. Know, so I'm told, but uh, I think that that taking people behind the scenes. Um, and you had massive numbers of comments on that. Yeah, and that, I always implore people take some, you know, have a bit of fun. You know, Twitter don't. You know, it, Twitter's not Facebook, but that doesn't mean you can't have fun. And particularly mm. after last year, we've all loosened up a little bit, and it's a bit more business is a little bit more informal. And that was a a, a great example of uh, this is what the twenty twenty one media interview looks like. <laughs> I'm wearing shorts. You're so right. Me. That went yeah, crazy. Been, that, that went absolutely crazy for you. That, uh, that yeah, it, it, I couldn't believe it. My daughter took the photo of me because um, she was laughing that I looked like I was going to work at the top half and going down the beach to the bottom half. And I thought, I suppose, I suppose it's kind of funny. And yeah, I put it on there, and the algorithm is very different to Twitter. And I, I like the algorithm. It can stay around. It can be your friend liked this. Whereas, you know, two days later, you don't see that on Twitter. It's, too, it's far too yeah. quick. And, yeah, my genuine friends saw that and liked it. And I like the fact that I, I got, well, thousands of views, weirdly, from it. But it got in connection with the people that I want to be chatting to. And they were leaving some nice positive responses. And that's it. It's become more informal. It's not Facebook yet, thank goodness. Thank but goodness. it is a positive experience on LinkedIn. And I like to see that positivity grow on there and spurring yeah. people on. So just let's go back to content for a minute. Um mm. So you're still blogging. How much content do you create now? You um, you sound like you're not curating a lot of content now uh, because no. your audience, you know, you don't want to be seen to be uh, doing that. But what's your con content sort of strategy? Yes, I love blogging. I really do. And it, it's amazing that I have this blog site that I can, um, that I can work with. It's our ESET blog it's called We Live Security, but um, it's the number one cybersecurity blog, and I always read it before I started. So to now actually write for them is amazing. And I got um, the number one blog of 2020, all about how you can hack anyone's WhatsApp. And I wanted to, to get that high again. Okay, so I started writing all sorts of things, and it never got that high again afterwards. Um, and I don't know, maybe it just put me off for a little bit, but I've got back into it recently. I've just written three blogs. They're back to back at the moment. I luckily have um, an amazing wordsmith uh, out in Canada who reads them before they are published, who, who teaches me so much about the English language. It's crazy. Um, it, it's amazing to have it go through him. And I've got some at the moment. Yeah, I, I've just found how you can hack people's Snapchat um, which hopefully will come out very soon. And then only yesterday did I finish a blog about how I can hack anyone's PayPal. So look out for that. Oh. Hopefully, <laughs> that yeah, will go well. Hitting all the uh, all the all the, um, the well, it's it's clickbait. But if you could back it, it is. Up, I do I do you. find that works. But it's true. I mean, if yeah. it's a clickbait for a title, yes, it is. And I hold my hands up. But, but I will if, show if, you. If, but clickbait is if if it's to get you there, but the story is really doesn't add the value. But if you're okay. clearly adding the value, then stop. I, yeah. call I will show you how it's all done. Uh, although my boss did say I'll probably have to let PayPal aware of what I've done before it goes live, <laughs> giving them time to go and patch it. Uh, too funny, too funny. And um, so that's interesting. I mean, good old blogging. Um, you know, clearly that's make, is that making a difference to the overall mix of your sort of profile? If if you know yeah. if it if it goes a bit viral, is that are you finding that that has an effect on anything, or is it just supportive of everything? I think else? yeah, you're right. It supports it. It's another string to the bow, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's lucky that I love blogging. I, lots of people don't like writing. Um, I love writing, you know, a thousand words can sometimes come quite naturally and I can do that in a day. Um, and then I enjoy the process of editing it over the next few days before it goes off to this guy that, that I use in, 
in um, Canada. So that, yeah, it just adds to it. Now, if I put that on LinkedIn or Twitter, it'll do okay on LinkedIn. Um, I know the algorithm doesn't like it if you're if you're linking outside of its ecosystem but on twitter it pretty much dies a death um i've put stuff out there on on twitter before that i'm really really proud of and thought look that my followers should like this and they just have <laughs> like it. It. <laughs> and if they don't see it they don't like it then no one sees it or likes it that's and right. so that's it <laughs> um, with with uh, with your blogging too, Tommy, is this a clickbait headline? Um, I've got to read it. Is your dishwasher trying to kill you? <laughs> one of the best headlines I've uh, seen. And there is a picture. Was that you underneath yeah, the, that's me. the door um, of the uh, the, 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 the dishwasher? Um, yeah. The dishwasher. I've made that into a talk. I love that one. Now I googled, <laughs> "Is your dishwasher trying to kill you?" Oh, there's nothing there. So I tried. Googling images of a of a killer dishwasher and there's there's not much. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna have to make this own my own photo of this. So I <laughs> I did I set a dishwasher so it'll be clean dishes and got underneath the door um and looked like it was trying to kill me. Again, I took I got my daughter to take that photo as well. <laughs> now, I hope um, she's earning a pocket money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's done well. Um, I love that one. But it, it's genuine. It's, it's about the Internet of Things and about how they're getting too much data. But it's actually how my new dishwasher opened. And I thought it was either possessed with ransomware or some sort of virus, or it was trying to kill me because it opened when I didn't tell it to. But what I found out afterwards, it was actually the, the mechanism that d- is designed within it to let the steam out before you go and empty all the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> But a couple of lessons right there on writing. One, always give it, you know, if you can, give it to another writer or an editor, have an editor look at it, even though you've yeah. edited it and gone through it yourself. Uh, we had Sarah Mitchell on, who's, you know, a top content marketer and top writer uh, in, in recent times. And she, you know, she's a great writer. She still sends her stuff through editors and stuff like great. that. So that's a really great um, tip mm. there. And, and be fun with your headlines, you know, hook people in. Uh, you could talk about, you know, the Internet of Things or whatever, but if you're saying, is, is your dishwasher trying to kill you, that's a hook, you know. Uh, you know, I can hack it into, into, into PayPal or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, um, I haven't that's, 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 that's a good yet. hook. That's a good hook. What, I, what I tend to do, actually, is before I write the headlines, I, I've heard that headlines aren't always written by the article writer in journalism, and I only learned that about last year. And so I thought, well, why not? Why don't I tell the story that I've just written to my friends, maybe over a glass of wine or two, and let them find the funny bits out of it? And it was actually my friend that said, oh, my God, it's as if your dishwasher was trying to kill you. And I went, there's the headline. It's the headline. Yeah. So you're thinking like so I, might not always, I might not always come up with it, but it's coming up with it in a situation like, like Thinking like an editor now, which is which is good. All right, well, let's uh, in, in in our mutual friend Mark uh, Masters, he would say, let's round up. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for your time. This covering a lot of things, but I want to join these dots just before you go. So, this this episode is really about you know someone yourself who you know you didn't have a profile and now you have got a national profile um, and and a go to informational resource on all things cybersecurity, which is your, your area, um, and, and how it started with content and you put yourself out there and you hated doing your videos at the start and now you're very, very good at it. Uh, you've been on Twitter, you're active on LinkedIn, uh, you're blogging, con- you're still blogging today uh, and have blogged over the journey. Um, but really, it's you've taken the media relations thing seriously and sure, you've had a PR firm pitching you and helping you, but you've had to do the homework uh, you're staying up to date with stuff. Uh, you've learned the different types of interview techniques. And if you're going to take it seriously, then that's what it takes. And clearly that's worked in your favour. So um, thank you very much for sharing all that, Jake, because uh, it really just goes to show that 
you know, if you put the work in and you, you know, you get bigger and bigger and you get, you need help to do it. But even if you took it as a small microcosm and still did the same things you do, that's when you increase your chances of getting media coverage. Because let's face it, mate, you're up against a lot. There's a lot of competition out there. And, but once you on people's radar, journalists' radar, producers, researchers on their radar, they just want to trust the source that they're going to. And if you can give them a good quote, be on time, be friendly, um, and give them up-to-date information, they're going to come back to you again and again and again. And then, of course, the more coverage you've got, and I will say, you've got your own website, which I think is fantastic. I, I, I always suggest people, even if, they, you know, if they're building a profile and they're working for someone, you can still have your own website because mm. that's, you, know, you need to be found. I was going to, I will say your website's jakemoremore.uk and I'm sitting here trying to go.co.uk and I'm thinking, where the hell is it? It was here the other day. <laughs> uh, you've gone straight to .uk, so that's clearly you're in the know there to get to get the, uh, the, the new um, domain names. But all of those things, it's not one thing or the other, but it's all the effort that goes into um, building a, you know, quite a significant now profile and reputation uh, using media and content and social. There's a lot. That's it. And enjoying it throughout the whole journey. And luckily I still am. Well, <laughs> it'd be a drag of a job if you did it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so that people can go to jakemore.uk uh, and uh, LinkedIn. And what's your handle on Twitter? So it's jake underscore more UK. Too easy. Thank you very much for sharing all of that stuff with us today. No, thank you. It's been great chatting with you. The reputation economy is here. The world today needs more genuine, credible experts and leaders to stand up and share their experience, their wisdom, their stories and ideas. Are you in? 